Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Awakening with Marla, with your host, Marla Maples. Marla shares interviews with people who are expanding the way we think, awakening the passions inside, and helping humanity come one step closer to a place of peace and compassion. Marla would love to invite you to visit her website at MarlaMaples.com and welcomes your calls at 877-230-3062. And now, here's Marla. Welcome to Awakening with Marla, everyone. So glad to have you be a part of our show. Today I have an amazing uh, person, soul, multidimensional being on my show, Aaron Cohen. Now, Aaron is a human rights activist and also best-selling author of the book Slave Hunter. And I find him to be one of the foremost biblical scholars also. We enjoy incredible, incredible studies together. So Aaron Cohen, welcome so much to uh Awakening with Marla today. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me, Marla. It's a great honor to be on the show with you. Thank you, honey. Well, you know, I've got to know you in the past six months um, just through the study that we do of Torah and the Bible. And since that time, I've learned so much more about what you're doing to basically free victims of human trafficking. And I just want to congratulate you, first of all, for having the heart that genuinely cares um, for but for other people and have so much compassion and and I've got to say everyone listening we all are capable of reaching out in the way that someone like Aaron can do you just have to be able to get past your fears and step into another place where genuinely you're caring for others outweighs and many times for you Aaron I'm sure your own safety tell me about what's going on now in the world of human trafficking and some of the exciting things you're doing to really free the many, many victims that we have today. Well, you know, human trafficking is the fastest growing illegal business in the world. What does that mean? Um, If you think about it, you know, we think of drug trafficking and arms trafficking as these really big illegal businesses that have gone on for a long, long time. But if you do the math, since the Internet has come on, uh, uh, pornography has become a $97 billion business. Prostitution, $100 billion. Human trafficking, almost $40 billion right now. Drug trafficking is uh, you know, about $70 billion. But if you add up the sex industry and the gaming industry, which are very related to human trafficking, what you'll discover is that the potential for human trafficking to pass drug trafficking is already upon us. And so um, let me just backtrack a little bit. I became interested in charity work in general and 
human trafficking activism, not because I wanted to feel good about myself or help people, but because I needed to have work on myself. And um, through the process of working for a number of rock bands and whatnot, I fell into drug addiction when I was younger, in my early 20s. And I learned, I learned something about myself during that period that, that um, was feeding my addictions and my denial. And that was the fact that I was enslaved to something that was making me feel good through my addiction. And I was using de- anonymity and denial to pursue, to pursue those, the, that darkness. And, um, you know, many people, many girls answer ads to become models or young boys answer an ad to work for a a farmer or something. And in the process of of seeking something better, they end up enslaved. And, um, you know, and, and if you look at those statistics and you realize that so many men are going to prostitutes these days, the increase in the demand of pornography and prostitution is so rampant that it has, it, it has translated to an increase in the need for human trafficking victims. And the Johns that visit them are not unlike myself because they're practicing anonymity and they're practicing denial. And I think those are, are cancers in our society. Mm, that's so interesting, honey. I mean, and when we have something like trafficking being a multi-billion dollar business, I mean, that today's world where money is so important, how do we even start to touch the tip of the iceberg on on stopping this and saving these young kids that sometimes quite innocently step into this situation? Well, you know, or are forced, is, I'm sorry, are forced into it, not innocently, but are, are absolutely forced and kidnapped into the situation. Yeah, you know, um, in terms of stopping it, boy, I don't know. It's, the fa- it's like a wildfire growing out of control when... Um, yeah. When I was younger, you know, people had their first encounter with pornography when they were 16 or so from a Playboy magazine or a penthouse magazine. Nowadays, you have young 8-year-olds following the link in their email to bestiality and the worst sort of S&M beat-up rough sex stuff on, online. And you can't help but just understand that the fact that that has occurred in this new generation, it means a whole new generation of John's pimps and pedophiles are being groomed right now. And there's a study out, uh, the Shapiro Group Demand Study. And what's really, what I find so fascinating about the particular study is they, they did an assessment of everybody who had been flagged for prostitution worldwide, and they interviewed all these men, all the Johns. And what they, what they learned is that the, the average John, the average man who feels entitled to buy sex, is a guy in his 30s. He looks like your next-door neighbor, and 70 to 90 percent of them are married. So when we think of the, you know, the, the guy who uses prostitutes, there's, in the movies they always portray it as a very you know, fat, balding, pink-skinned man who probably couldn't get a woman. That's not exactly the, what we found from the Shapiro demand study. We found that, that it's your neighbor next door that's this guy, and he's using loneliness and stress and pressure and, as Elliot Spitzer put it, private failings. He's justifying his, his going to prostitution um, with things like getting the hot girl or to fulfill his unfulfilled desires or fantasies. And I, I think that also male bonding rituals play into it, picking up on girls, initiation rites, bachelor parties, that sort of thing. And um, these male bonding rituals have led to the big boom in sex tourism that we're seeing. <sighs> You know, and it just, 
in some states, of course, prostitution is legal, and I think you're getting ready to take a journey to back to Vegas again. And but the the point is, so often this is it's an illegal legal business where where men today, our neighbors next door, whoever, you you really can't tell if you're if you are getting involved with someone that may be forced into to being trafficked, and that's that's the saddest thing is is being able to really reach out to these these. Um, young women who are searching for a better life and men very often and uh, stopping you know this from happening at the core level but as far as morality and human choices I mean that's a, a personal thing I mean if people are empty and seek that for their fulfillment unfortunately they're never going to be deeply fulfilled their their hearts will just always have a hollow place inside and especially if it's brought damage to another person's soul um, so, so Aaron, I just I, I look at it because it's it's kind of twofold. I mean, there's slavery has been going on since the beginning of time. We read about it biblically, and there's legal prostitution and e- illegal prostitution, uh, right? You know, happening in our neighborhoods. So yeah, now you know, not the, the I, I can't pass the judgment, yeah. but as far as the legalities and the people being so greatly harmed, that's where we want to put our hearts and necks out there. Yeah, um, this is really an incredible, an incredible time to be alive. We're watching so many things happen that um, that we in our in our in our thought we always have this connection between slavery and the ancient world. And um, fascinating today, as we as we look at what the internet has done, it's 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 created this desire for freedom around the world, not only here in the United States. But uh, you know, look at the recent uprisings in Tunisia and Egypt, and the Arab revolt that's going on today as we speak, as we talk on this program. There's millions of young people out there protesting and trying to demand freedom, um, freedom online. And I think that people don't necessarily understand um, what comes with that. Mm, right, and and we, I heard a quote. Last night, uh, I, was, I was picking up my daughter from the airport about how one of the students said, we, we had no idea that we even had so much more left of our heart to be broken um, because these students, you know, go out with the hopes of a peaceful demonstration, which turns so dark so quickly. And, you know, and what can we say? I mean, you and I talk about how it feels like there's a fulfilling of prophecy going here, do, or some sort of alignment of that. How do, how do you see this in, in terms of prophecy Oh, man. A good question, Marla. Uh, You know, you can't help it when you see millions of people mobilizing in Egypt. I just reminded of the book of Exodus when when Moses went to Egypt and found the the, uh, Israelites enslaved and they had their own sort of demonstration for a while and it took uh, took more than a week, certainly, and, and a series of miracles. But when you when you when you step back from that thought for a second, and you say to yourself, "Okay, there's a history of incredible things going on in Egypt um, from the perspective of spirituality, divine things, shall we say?" And I can't help but but feel or have an inclination that the divine is moving moving mightily in Egypt today. And now, what does that mean? I mean, we see all these demonstrators there, and there's two sides to that coin. You know, on the one hand, you have freedom, which we all want, and we can all join the student movement. But at the same time, there's a naivete that you can, you, can, you can indulge in if you begin to believe that all of these demonstrations worldwide are going to lead to freedom. 
because if you if you look at the fact that if democracy were put in there, it would be very difficult because what happens is you have a majority of people would vote in um, what we would call an extremist government, and you know a lot of folks are looking at that other side of the coin, which is extremism and and Islamic extremism. The Brotherhood is the name of the organization, and you know just a quick, quick recap, you know Israel. Um, Israel became a nation in 1948. They they obtained Jerusalem in 1967, and there was immediately a war with the uh, surrounding neighbors. And one of the, one of the one of the courageous leaders, Anwar Sadat, stepped forward and accepted Israel. And in the Camp David Accords in 1978, he actually came to the United States um, at the invitation of Jimmy Carter. And on the White House lawn, they signed the agreement with uh, Men- uh, Menachem Begin. And of course, we know the story of what happened. Uh, shortly thereafter, Anwar Sadat was assassinated. And in the aftermath of his assassination, his general, Hosni Mubarak, began rounding up what we call the usual suspects. The usual suspects in the opposition party and the usual suspects among the Muslim Brotherhood. And among these people in the Muslim Brotherhood that he picked out were the core intelligentsia of this thing that we would be called al-Qaeda. A, a, a gentleman named Ayman Zawiri was picked out and put in the jails. And there was a, an incident where a lot of them escaped, and they escaped to the mountains of Pakistan, and uh, they went to Sudan and Yemen, and they went to Afghanistan. And you know, today we have al-Qaeda, and you can't help but look at the demonstrations that are occurring. I was speaking to a friend of mine in Syria, and they said, the Muslim Brotherhood is behind this whole demonstration, and and the Syrian people are afraid because they're being forced to choose between their one side or the other, and there's consequences for each decision. So, and, you know, clearly we're on the verge of something that is much bigger than a particular unrest in Egypt or Tunisia or Algeria or Jordan or Syria, and and I'm in awe, and I feel as if the divine is moving mightily on the stage of the Middle East. We have to believe that. If we're believers that there is a divine presence, we have to know that, you know, even despite the, the pain and the suffering and the conflict, that, that there is this presence of God that is moving through. And, you know, what I would like to just know is how can we really be a part of helping lift, um, you know, lift this divine and, and, and help create some sort of peaceful thoughts for these beings and the people that are in the middle of it. I'm sitting in beautiful California and I look at my Twitter page and I throw on CNN and I'm seeing all this and, and I realize these students just hoping for freedom. And you said, and very often in their naivete, something is happening there that could set off, you know, the next big world war. Um, but what can we do? We're looking at this alignment and prophecy. What in the world can we do to help make a difference. Is there anything that you think we as human souls here can do now? <laughs> you know, Marla, you asked me that question, you're going to get my <laughs> my standard answer, which is, you know, I do charity and human rights activists do charity because we're working on ourselves. So the first thing is we have to work on ourselves. We have to be conscious of what we're doing with our own lives. And in the process of working on ourselves, we help others. And, uh, you know, you look at the Islamic revolution that occurred in Iran in the 1970s. I think it was uh, the famous journalist Peter Jennings. And Peter uh-huh. Jennings was on this famous flight from Paris 
uh, to Tehran. And the Ayatollah Khomeini was on the flight, but because Peter Jennings was uh, the youngest journalist, he wasn't allowed to interview um, Ayatollah Khomeini until the very end. So they were they're already in the part where they were descending to land in Tehran. So he got a rush job. You say they told him you're only going to have five minutes for the Ayatollah. Um, he's done too many interviews. He's tired. Jennings goes up to the Ayatollah, and he says, "Okay, you've." You've escaped this regime. Your friends and family have been murdered by the Shah and the agents that were representing the United States. And now you're, after decades, you're, you've written all these books. You've inspired a revolution, and you're returning triumphantly to Iran to take over the country. What are you feeling? And the Ayatollah, in the words of Peter Jennings, looked out the window and didn't respond. And after a moment, he turned and gave Peter Jennings the one word answer that would become famous. He said, he said in Farsi, Hichi, and that means nothing. I feel nothing. We know the story. He went, on, he went on to take over the country of Iran. So a student revolution or a student movement in the eyes of freedom to gain freedom for the country led to, in the middle of that freedom movement, the students, and one of those students of the leader of the student movement is a guy we call Ahmadinejad today. He's the prime minister of Iran. So it's very ironic. You, you look at the Iran model and you see how the student movement led to um, an extremist state. And you now as we see this unfolding in, in Egypt, we ask ourselves, what can I do to help? Yes. While the answer is really to become conscious of what's going on in your own life and what value you can bring to that situation. Now, I like to use an analogy, and the analogy is that of throwing a rock into the water. If you throw a rock into the water, what happens is there's a little splash, and then circles come out. You have the inner circles and outer circles. It becomes all of these concentric circles, the waves they go out after the impact. That's kind of like the Big Bang, too. There's a Big Bang, and then the cords of galaxies come out and, and whatnot. And if you see yourself in this context, like you are your own little Big Bang, and you have around you, like, for example, you know, Marla, your mother, uh, I had the great pleasure of meeting your mom and having Bible study with her. She's really an amazing, inspiring woman. And your daughter is very inspiring. To see the three of you together, wow, that's your core group. That's your inner circle. But coming out, you know, you have your friends and your colleagues, um, and you have some amazing friends, uh, movie stars and musicians and artists and philosophers. It was incredible to be with you and Deepak Chopra and see the love the two of you have for each other and whatnot. And and then you come out further, and there's your society and your radio program. And, and so we all have the ability to activate our core, our core family. And, um, and I do that with my brother and my sister and my family, and you do it with yours. And I think yes. that the listeners, they, they can reach out to their core group, their inner circle. And by activating their core group, I think that's the most important thing, is you activate your core group with consciousness. And what happens is, they then begin to inspire you in affirmation. And once your core group is behind you on something, and if my family's behind me on something, I feel like I can, I can accomplish anything. And so what we can do is activate our core group and build our, build our, our consciousness from there. That's 
amazing advice absolutely amazing advice and as you're saying that I'm thinking of all the beautiful people that have come in and out of my life that I would love to connect with again now bring back that circle so we can build a stronger core group and expand from there because yes you know we do get very comfortable with our intimate family and then we go to our group that we study spiritually with but when you think of all the other people that have had a positive effect on your lives and hopefully you on theirs that could also grow and be a part of that and so that's wonderful, wonderful advice. And doesn't it give you that warm feeling inside at the same time? Yeah. If you, you know, if, if, um, if my brother, Arthur, um, says, you know, I'm really behind you on this, Aaron. I'm really proud of you. How would it feel if Tiffany said to you, Marla, you know, I'm really behind you on this, Mom. I think that this is a great idea. Doesn't that inspire you when your core group is behind you on something? Absolutely. So I, I think we that's have... a key thing to transforming our society. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I mean, that's, you know, my big question is, what do you think the world needs now more than anything? And this this is it, that inner transformation that expands and expands out into the world and just an understanding of, of each other and that some people do not have the tools that we have or the understanding to do this. But really, if we can reach out and share these simple tools like you're talking about today, then we can all have an effect in what is happening in the rest of the world. So, you know, you and I talked also quite a bit about the fulfillment of prophecies now versus uh, the the Elijah effect. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, about the choices sure. and the, the... I think that's so interesting. I'd love to share that with the audience. Yeah, you know, um, the interesting thing is, is that we have these models that are presented in the scriptures of what are the potential outcomes. And, you know, two prophets come come immediately to mind in in, in my in my thought, one of them, of course, is the prophet Ezekiel, because the prophet Ezekiel, you know, he was part of what we call the brain drain. Um, ancient Babylon destroyed ancient Israel in 587 BC. That's nearly 2,600, you know, a long time ago, thousands of years ago, Israel was destroyed. And so all of the young men that were in college were, were rounded up, and it, we call it the brain drain. They, they rounded up all the people in graduate school and Ph.D. and in <laughs> undergrad, and they marched them off. I don't think they called it back then, but they marched right. them to Babylon, and they were enslaved there. And Ezekiel wrote his prophecies in Babylon about a future that did not exist yet. And he wrote the prophecy that Israel would become a nation again, that when they did, they would, they would then get the land back. And when that happened, there would be this conflict between the Sunnis, and Shias. Now, they don't define Sunnis and Shias in the book of Ezekiel, but what they define is the international foreign affairs that occurs on the two sides. So in Ezekiel chapter 16, you have the Sunni representation um, approaching Israel, and that is to reduce the land from Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, unto Iraq in a comprehensive Middle Eastern peace. That's Ezekiel chapter 16, the allegory of an unfaithful Jerusalem. And then you have the perspective of what happens with the Shia, the um, Iranians, in Ezekiel chapter 38, where Israel is a nation again, they've obtained Jerusalem, they're, they're in the midst of a land negotiation for peace with Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, unto Iraq. And at that, at that moment, um, the Shias with Russia, Sudan, Libya, and Turkey attack Israel. So if you look at the configuration we have today, it's very inspiring, Marla, because 
you've got the Russian army who has come through Chechnya, through the Republic of Georgia. They've consolidated military supremacy over the Middle East. That was the U.S. agenda in the 1950s when we had our misgivings and our, our um, improprieties with the Mossadegh regime in Iran. It led to the Shah being installed, and then the Islamic Revolution. That's something we didn't plan on. But um, that impropriety led to the situation we have today, and now Russia is perched and has achieved that U.S. goal of military supremacy uh, over that region. Now, what's happening is, these two oil pipelines are represented by different philosophical points of view. You have the BTC oil pipeline that brings the oil out of Tehran, up through, up through the Caucasus, across the Caspian Sea, and to Europe. And then you have the other big oil pipeline, which is the Saudi pipeline. That's the, the Sunni pipeline. So you have a Shia, Shia pipeline, which is ruled over by Iran and Russia in a configuration of nations. And then you have a Sunni oil pipeline. We all remember the Iraq War. Um, that's, that's Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Iraq, and the United States. So as Israel sits in this situation, you, we're, we've already seen Ezekiel 38 coming down, uh, where the Russian army is moving, moving from the north down south towards Israel. And we've already seen the Saudi plan on the table to reduce the, the land of Israel and reduce the borders for peace. So both Ezekiel 16 and both Ezekiel 38, the prophecies of Shia and Sunni Islam, are teed up, as we say. You know, in golf, if you put your golf ball on the, on the tee, you're all teed up, you're ready to hit the ball. So clearly Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 38 are teed up. And all the biblical scholars, whether you're, whether you're a, a Wahhabist scholar looking at the Wahhab commentaries on the stuff, or whether you're a Shia scholar and you're looking at Ayatollah Khomeini's you know, representation, or if you're an evangelical, Jack, Dr. Jack Van Impey, or Dr. Grant Jeffrey, or Hal Lindsey, or any of the, or um, Rod Parsley, any of the current evangelical ministers, they all see that Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 38 are all teed up. So as that happens, I can't help but feel like, uh, I remember I was in New York and there's a a uh, very controversial Muslim cleric there named Imam um, Imam Faisal, uh, and Imam Faisal is most famous for his controversy at 9/11 at the site of 9/11, and he wanted to build a mosque there. Well, I had an opportunity before that controversy happened to have a biblical debate with the Imam, and uh, the Imam liked the paper I had written and invited me to debate him, and so he asked me. He said, "Is there a biblical model for peace? Is the Bible all apocalypse and doom?" He asked me. And wow, I'm, what a great question. Here I was. And, you know, how would you answer that, Marla? That's a, a tough question, because when you look at Ezekiel, and you see Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 38, these key passages of prophecy that are, our eyes are seeing fulfilled right now, and you look at that, and it looks like, wow, this, all this doom and gloom is written about in advance. So wait a minute, you know, there is another prophet who gives an optimistic perspective. And so on the one hand, you have Ezekiel's option, you know, option A, the Sunni strategy to destroy Israel, option B, the Shia strategy to destroy Israel. And we know how the story plays out. They destroy Israel in the process of that, an Antichrist rises or a great Satan, and, and then the entire planet is enslaved through this dark, this, this dark leader. Um, that's very doom and gloom. But the prophet Jonah has another perspective. Now, Jonah 
God said to Jonah, this is the same era, you know, way back when, 2,500 years ago, God goes to the prophet Jonah says, I want you to be a prophet. I want you to go to the land of Nineveh and tell them that the apocalypse is coming and that they're doomed. And Jonah says, forget it. I'm going to go party in Amsterdam. And he gets on a- Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Boat and he's fleeing, serving as a prophet. And we know the story. The big storm comes. The sailors realize it's Jonah. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a big fish. He's in the belly of the whale. He's coughed up on the shore of Lebanon. He walks the, the hundreds of miles to the Nineveh Plain. Now, that's in Iraq today. We know that it's northern Iraq. And he arrives in the Nineveh Plain. And he's a reluctant prophet. He's, he's basically being forced to do it. And so I can only imagine him slurring his words and not being sincere about it, saying, okay, guys, uh, our society is doomed in an apocalypse. We all need to change. And he's and a young guy. I mean, it's probably like 13 guy. years old. Yeah. yeah, and to his great dismay, to his great misunderstanding, they all begin to change. They stopped. The, the leaders put on sackcloth and ashes. They began to a time of mourning. Then they, they, they called it into violence. They stopped all of the things that they were doing wrong. And there's no apocalypse. And Jonah gets mad. He's all, I, I didn't want to be a prophet. Then you forced me to be a prophet. And, and now I'm a false prophet. And so God, you know, Jonah goes and he sulks under a grapevine. And God says to him, you know, why are you upset? What, what, why are you so upset? You know, I, I asked you to go there. It's been decreed that they would change. Now, mm-hmm. it's like a kid in a, in a restaurant who's acting up. If, you're, if, you're, if a little five-year-old is throwing silverware and pushing the water over, you take the child outside. So we can either be dragged, kicking, and screaming through an apocalypse, the Ezekiel option, or mm-hmm. we can change on our own. We can activate our core group and spread a global consciousness of love and peace and nonviolence, and we can change on our own and avert disaster. And so I think that's the... In the scriptures, we're always provided those two options, change in our own or have, have our parent um, save us through, through some miraculous uh, encounter. Mm. And this requires very often, like with Jonah, stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, I mean, he didn't want to have to be this person and this that could could step into this this time and create such such change. It, it was overwhelming to him. But you know, what we have to know is that we really, if we can step out of that comfort zone into that place, we really can make a difference. Yeah, and and I feel like this is the key of the, the crux of what we're talking about. You said, what can people do? You know, mm-hmm. um, I saw a sign from Egypt, and there was a man who looked 
very, very Muslim, almost like an extremist. And he was holding a sign that was in Arabic, and I couldn't read the Arabic. And then there was a word in English in the middle, very big, and then there was Arabic afterwards, and I couldn't read that. But the word in the middle I could read, and the word was Facebook. And I thought to myself, wow. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, he started with his core group of people at Harvard University. And then they began going out to their outer network. And a change happened with this social network where his own network became global because he activated his core. From activating his core, he went out to his friends, from there to his associates among the other colleges. And uh, basically a civil revolution happened in, in terms of social networking, and he became the number one networking site in the world. Well, what if Abraham Lincoln had Twitter? What if, uh, what if, yeah, what if William Wilberforce had Facebook? So we have these amazing tools at our disposal. And so when I say activate your core group, it doesn't mean it stops there because you have the tools to have that be a big bang. You can have your big bang and those galaxies of influence will spread out across the world. Absolutely. While we're there, everybody go to Twitter and follow Aaron Cohen 777. Um, at Aaron Cohen 777 and, and see, you know, see what he's doing and see the conversations that start up internationally. I mean, you were talking about your friend in Syria and friends, you know, all over the world where you've traveled, you know, working to, to end the human trafficking and you've created this international outreach. Thank you to the Martin Zuckerberg with Facebook and thank you to what Twitter's doing. And I'm, it's Marla Maples, IT. Yes, Marla Maples, and I've just begun a few, a couple of months ago, but it's really amazing to see the power of, of um, just spreading simple words, how f- outreaching it can be. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's a core group that will expand. Take your core feelings, emotions, and expand it. And, and let's all communicate that way. It doesn't take so much time. And God bless all the wonderful people on my Facebook. I wish I could get to all my messages there. But with Twitter, it's immediate. It's quick. And, uh, and you can really get a feeling for the world. So, and, and Aaron, you were talking about, you know, the students and what's going on with the social network, with the student movement. In, in Egypt right now, are you, are you hearing a lot? Tell me about the, what you're hearing through the student movement um, yeah, in I Egypt have a right friend. now. I have a friend um, who studies at the Kabbalah Center named Stephanie Rudat. And mm-hmm. Stephanie, she runs a, a, a number of organizations. She's an amazing activist, but one of the organizations is um, a youth organization. And so she's tapped in to all the youth leaders in Egypt, and she has been for quite a while. In fact, some of the some of the student leadership that was put in jail by um, the, by the Mubarak government, they were her they were her colleagues and friends. So, mm. uh, you know, I've been following what what Stephanie has been tweeting and what she's been saying, and and um, and and I'm I'm excited on the one hand, and at the other hand, I look at the Iran situation and I remember what happened in Iran when the students had a had a revolution there and thought freedom was coming and got uh, mm. got really a dictatorship. So right. on the because, one hand, yes. I, I'm excited. On the other hand, I'm, I'm nervous. Right, because there's not anyone that the students have slated to be their leader. At this, you know, the, I don't know how well thought it is. Do you, have you heard more about that to see what, what their hope is in, in, in bringing this change? When, wh- how do you take it to the next level? Yeah, well, you know, there vision? are leaders. There are apparent leaders and whatnot. But when you have a gang crowd mentality, it's really – 
it's really easy for the rock stars to get in there, whether they're a good rock star or a bad, bad rock star. A rock star, and I know a lot about rock stars because that's the industry, the music industry that I came up in. I, I started my philanthropy from working for um, an entertainer named Perry Farrell, and he was the singer of a band called Jane's Addiction, and he had a music festival called Lollapalooza. So I, I saw very clearly from my early days in my 20s how a rock star like Perry or a rock star like Trent Reznor or a rock star like Axl Rose could could take that mob mentality and literally focus it on themselves. And in that danger and in that, in that intrigue, in that anticipation, they literally take over. And that's, my, that's fine if they're, if they're a peace-loving person like Perry. But what if they're not a peace-loving person? What if it's an Ahmadinejad? What if it's an Ayman Zawiri? What if it's an Osama bin Laden rock star? who's rallying that group to him. And that's my big concern about Egypt and the, the other, the other um, Arab revolts that are going on. Mm, yeah, I know. I know. And we just have to watch it you can watch it play out now from here and then still do our part individually to become that, that channel of change. Well, it's, it's so interesting, honey. And, you know, you and I do, we study the Bible, we study the New Testament, we study the Torah, we study the Zohar. And this week's portion um of the Zohar that I was reading last night is Turamah, and it's talking about Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, and how that love, this love can elevate the world. I mean, we see so much anger and fear in the world. We want to help elevate the world. Would you talk to me about about this Parsha and what it means to all of us today, even though this was written thousands of years ago? The importance of this teaching today, especially with what we're seeing happening all over Egypt now. Sure. You know, Marla, I, when we talk about spiritual things, you know, there's practical theology where you could work on yourself and everything is sort of in the room you're in right now. That's, you mm-hmm. know, very practical. But when we talk about spiritual things, we begin to talk about another domain. And in Hebrew, we call it the, the olam ensof, the, the infinite realm. So if you think about it, we know from physics and from astronomy that Basically, the majority of everything in the universe is dark matter, and we don't know what it is. It's unseen to us. So there's this 1% world that we live in. We live in the 1% world, but it really represents such a small percentage of the real world because there's this 99% unseen that we're not, that we're not necessarily tapping into. And so mm-hmm. some people way back when learned this philosophy of viewing the world um, like, for example, the, the Lord's Prayer from the New Testament, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. Now, that, that mm. phrase right there, on earth as it is in heaven, it, it shows a duality. In other words, yes. the prayer that, that Jesus was making when he said that was, was activated here on earth as it is in heaven. So there's this perspective of the 1% world we're in now, and this 99% that we can't see. So, you know, he has an incredibly famous legacy, the most famous legacy of any man that ever lived. Um, And uh, it's divine in the sense that he he was able to make a connection between upper world and lower world, and and that connection was very much himself. And when when I look at that, when I look at that example of what he accomplished, it's it's absolutely divine. And, and I think to myself, okay, 
I have my 1% world, all my problems, everything that's going on with me today, and then I've got the 99%. And how am I going to tap into the 99% to help me with what I've got going on in my 1%? And so I think what's really fascinating about this week's Parsha is that you're given this technology. And, you know, the funny thing is is that there was this time when Israel was, they were were totally enslaved, and then they were brought out of slavery to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And when they Mm -hmm. arrived at Mount Sinai, there was, Specific things happened to them. They parted the Red Sea. There was all this drama. There was, a, there was a pantheon of war going on in the heavens between the gods of ancient Egypt, the gods of enslavement, and the, gods of, the god of freedom that had brought the Israelites out. Marla, are you there? I'm sorry. I'm on AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know, I'm, I was I'm talking about the, the dual house. world. Yes, we're talking about the 99% realm and the 1% realm and, 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 and Jesus, and now we're just working our way. We talked about the Lord's, the prayer, and what was going on in Mount Sinai. So I'd love so for you to get at Mount right Sinai. Yeah, it's a, I'll pick it up on Mount Sinai. Yes. <laughs> so we arrive at Mount Sinai, <laughs> and we're given the Ten Commandments. Now, here's the th- funny thing about the Ten Commandments. On the one hand, you've got this group of laws that are about man's relationship to God, you know, you shall have no gods before me. You shall not make any brazen idols. And so there's a whole series of laws about our relationship with God. And then the other series of laws are about our relationship with each other. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. So there's laws versus man, and there's laws versus God. So what's visioned there is heaven and earth. The 1% realm is, is our laws to ourself our, as human to human, and our 99% is our laws to the divine. And stuck in the middle between these two things is this technology. In Christianity, they call it the gospel, but it's the Sabbath. It's, the Sabbath is this connection. It's the ability to connect the 99% to that 1%. And, and clearly, the, the one who demonstrated that technology better than anybody else was uh, you know, the main event, uh, Jesus himself. So I'm really... I'm really I'm fascinated by this because when I look at my own life and I realize that, you know, I'm an activist and I have struggles raising money to do our rescue missions. And the same powers that have enslaved ancient Israel are clearly at work in the planet today. You know, we do have it teed up for Ezekiel 16. We do have it teed up for Ezekiel chapter 38. And Russia is on the move down south. And there is all of these things happening around the Arab revolt, happening all the way around Israel. So I can't help but feel as if those same spirits that were involved in Egypt back then are moving mightily on the stage today. And, and when I look at that, I think to myself, how can I have an impact on this, or what am I supposed to do? And clearly everywhere I look, from the Lord's Prayer to the Ten Commandments to the teachings of this week's Parsha, um, I cannot help it but realize that there was this, they went there, they got the Ten Commandments, and then what did they do with it? Do you remember what they did with the Ten Commandments, Marla? Yeah, yeah. I, they, they put they them were inside ready. of a box. They put them in a box, yeah. right? What's right, that box right. called? What, do you know You're what that box the is called? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. Very the good. The Ark of the Covenant, right. They put the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant, and mm-hmm. that Ark had a seat on it, a mercy seat, and that seat was the intersection between the 99% and the 1%. God himself was this intersection. The infinite being came down into the finite world and created a portal 
through, it's almost like, you know, remember the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? That's the wardrobe. <laughs> we were giving this portal to another world. And, um, and the technology is right there in front of us if we're willing to tap into it. And, so, you know, of course, the greatest teacher on this technology was Jesus himself. But there's some amazing teachers that followed, that followed, that sort of illuminated what he had taught or, or gave us a perspective of how to tap into that technology. And, of course, when you build the whole nation around the Ark of the Covenant, they built the tabernacle around it. And that's a lot of what this week's portion in Terumah is about. They built the tabernacle around the, the wardrobe, around, around the Ark of the Covenant. It's that center point between the 1% world and the 99% world. And they began to learn how to approach that. And that became known as holiness, how to approach the technology of approaching the divine. And um, it starts with yourself, with eliminating your, you know, goes right back to our circles thought where we're, we're working with our core group, and our core group starts with ourselves. We as individuals have to look at ourselves and say, what's not true about me? And as you begin to take away what in, in Hebraic thought we call it the klipa, um, the klipa is this sort of this shell that's put over us that has to be removed so that, so that we can then have our soul and spirit free to soar. And, it, and the more that we put, the, the more that we put mistruth or lies or ego, ego or things things that bind us, the more we bind ourselves with one percent mentality, one percent thinking. The more we do that, the more klipa, the more shells we have. But when we when we approach that when we approach that box through taking our klipa off, that that, that has a lot to do with. You know, I can't help but rem- think of your mom, <laughs> Marla. Your oh, mom is sweet. she's such a beautiful woman. She loves the Bible so much. She's an she's basically an ev- evangelist. She's so evangelical, and um, we can get her a show. Way. I know it. <laughs> she's, she's amazing, and what she's yes. done, you know, it, it, she's 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 actually really really tough on Tiffany, your daughter, um, but in a good way. She's she's tough on her in a good way. And I'm fascinated by the fact that your mom was able to activate her network in her daughter and her granddaughter, and now she has these two superheroes, <laughs> Marla and Tiffany, out saving the world. And I'm really, I'm in awe of your mother that she was able to activate her core group, and now her core group is activating the world. And I think that's an analogy, that's a lesson for all of us to learn from, and, and I think that's at the heart of what we're looking at uh, in the uh, in the parsha, what were what? Tell me, Marla, what do you think were some of the interesting components of the parsha this week with uh, Leah and Rachel and love and all of that? Well, again, it's just another incredible opportunity for us to step forward. Where you know, throughout the generations, we've not been able to make that leap. And you know, as I study and learn learn more than I did as my. Southern Baptist teachings, now that I'm studying Kabbalah, the next level is just understanding that, that Jacob's love of Leah and Rachel wasn't about, wasn't incestual. It was, well, it's truly about bringing together the two parts that each sister represented. Rachel representing the lower world or this world of Mahul, as we call it, that we walk and talk and speak in, and Leah representing the upper worlds. So when when he marries the two, it's about marrying the upper world with the lower world. And I'd love for you to tell me about your analogy about the stick that was broken coming together. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's really beautiful what you just said. Um, you know, the thing <laughs> is, is that the thing, I'm so inspired around you, Marla. The, the thing oh is, is same, the ditto, thing is, ditto, ditto. <laughs> you know, Jacob had two wives, as you just said, Leah and Rachel. And, um, oh, we talk about trouble. And, um, yeah. you know, there was trouble. And Leah had had six sons. The first four sons are really important um, in terms of understanding where we're going to go with this. But she had, first Reuben was born, then Simeon, then Levi was born, and then Judah. And Judah became, you know, from the Judaic line, the fourth-born son, there came the line of kings. And from Levi came the line of priests. And there, be, there, 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 there became this elitism among, among the Hebrews uh, in that particular group. And there was apparently some problem between the brothers, because if you think about it, Reuben was the firstborn of Leah, but Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and then Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. So when we think of that stick, Israel, it was broken when Israel was destroyed, or before that, you know. And what happened was, out of the line of, out of, the line of Joseph comes Ephraim and Manasseh. So in Ezekiel chapter 37, we're given a prophecy of the stick that's been broken. And one side is Judah. And the other side is Ephraim. Now, when we talk about Rachel and her descendants, wow, you know, Joseph married into the, the royal line of Egypt. So that line later on became linked to Islam. And we know that Benjamite, the Benjamites were the first kings in Israel, and King Saul and King David's war, remember that. And then they were almost all killed off, and a, a small remnant, I think a handicapped child of Jonathan, the son of King Saul, was saved. And and the great descendant of that line became Paul the Apostle, who wrote the epistles and basically established modern-day Christianity. So, inevitably, you know, the Christians ran after the Benjamite literature, the epistles of St. Paul, and the, the, the Muslims ran after the Arab literature that was passed down through Muhammad. And, and clearly, clearly, there's this whole vast array of the world that when Israel was destroyed, the Gentile rulerships came, first the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks and the Romans. So there's this entire world that has sort of been justified through Rachel. And there's the Jews in Israel that have been justified through Leah. And they're a minority. But when the majority that is vested in Rachel is put together with the minority vested in Leah, that's the idea of the, the coming redemption, the, the liberation that can occur when we all unite. And I find it so inspiring that the biblical narrative puts us all back together in the prophecy that we're all returned to oneness and love for each other. So all of this fighting, all of this finger-pointing, all of this you're doing it wrong, what I call lateral discourse has to stop, and we need to start the era of one love and togetherness and compassion and humanity. And that's why I work with AbolishSlavery.org and do the, do the work that we do to free slaves, because you can see that on the stage of history there's this great enslavement happening right now. And it's, it's not a myth. It's actually real. The demonstrations are going on in Cairo today, right now. They're going on in Syria. They're going on in Jordan. They're going on in Algeria. We're watching Iran move mightily in the nuclear direction. Russia's coming south. You know, what does this all mean? These are signs that we were given us. And I love, I love Jesus' line. You can, you can you know, when, when the sun is up in the morning and the sky is red, you, you say that it'll be cloudy today because it's red skies in the morning. You know, red skies in the morning, sailor take warning. 
And when in the evening, when it's fair, you say it'll be fair weather tomorrow because um, that's, you can read the signs of the sky. Well, you can read the signs of the sky, but can you read the signs of the times? And that's, the, that's my, my departing question to our viewers, to our listeners, is can, can we actually read the signs of the times and understand that this is not about taking us apart, this is about putting us back together? That's absolutely beautiful, Aaron. Absolutely beautiful that we can have that rise in spirituality in the world if we can understand how the gathering of the the upper worlds, as we said, and the lower world coming together, and where there's the vision coming together, and and we start with our core group, we start with ourselves, and then we build that core, and then we take it out to the world. and And Aaron, you are you know a true beacon of this movement that I believe will bring more peace to our world and and to the souls of many. And I I look forward to seeing everything you're going to do. Um, Aaron, of course, you can find him on Facebook. Uh, Are you Aaron Cohen 777 on Facebook? Or what do we do there? (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. You've got the sevens with you, sweetheart. And on Twitter and also... Um, you can still buy, you know, his book that's quite amazing called The Slave Hunter, One Man's Global Quest to Free Victims of Human Trafficking. And that's on Amazon and many other areas. I'm sure you can find it. And Aaron, quickly tell me, you're, you're in the midst of writing another book. That's why you disappear from us here in Los Angeles ever so often. <laughs> yes, I'm writing a book <laughs> about the things we're discussing right now in the program about uh, 1% and 99%. And I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but um, I know that the anti-slavery work that we're doing in Israel um, is very prophetic. It tells a bigger story than slavery. Slavery is a metaphor. It's a vehicle we're driving to the geopolitical clash of societies for the purpose of global peace. And, you know, of course, starting with myself, but coming out through my core group, and then, of course, to the people that I can affect with consciousness. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we're all going to be listening and watching to see, you know, how this expands and, and hop on board with us. Let's, let's all just create, continue to create this expanding core group and stay in touch with what Aaron's doing. There's a lot of exciting things happening. And, uh, he and I are actually working on some music projects now that we're, we're really excited about. We got into the studio for the first time, uh, two days ago and really letting things channel through us that hopefully will touch and open the hearts of, of many while we're really enjoying enjoying the work that we're doing together. So mm-hmm. you know stay in touch yeah, stay in touch with me at MarlaMaples.com and Aaron, is there a specific website that you'd like people to peek into? Sure, abolishslavery.org. Great, great. So any any questions you have, just reach out to us. And Aaron, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know how busy you are. You're getting ready to make a journey to a few more places in the world soon. And uh, I know you're constantly training people on how to how to go in and help rescue these young victims of human trafficking. So we, we wrap you with so much love and so much light and uh, send you again on your journey just that you will be that beacon of light and walk in the footsteps of God. And thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Marla. And just um, sending you blessings and just, just love and light. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all. Until we meet again, this is Marla with Awakening with Marla. Join us again next time on the first Friday of every month for Awakening with Marla with your host, Marla Maples. 
Till then, check out her website at www.marlamaples.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.